1: Play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
2: support the podcast on patreon by joining the it's all cobblers to me fan club every month you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content such as our meet the staff series hear our player interviews before anyone else and be invited to regular meetups By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me.
1: I'm Tom Cliff, creator of the world-famous online stand-up bingo, which started out its life at Northampton Town Football Club. Join me every Saturday at 2.15pm on the Café Track Facebook page for your chance to be crowned Stand-Up Bingo Champion of the World. Every ticket purchase goes towards keeping Café Track and TrackNN, a social enterprise dedicated to helping people to access work experience and hopefully employment. Buy your ticket now at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Café Track. Make sure you leave your chosen 15 numbers between 1 and 90 in the comment section and then play along live on the Saturday afternoons before the Cobblers game. So go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash cafe track now and get your ticket for the world famous stand up bingo. In. Oh, is Abdul Osman against Brad Jones to put Liverpool out of the Cup and not that yes! the...
2: Hello and welcome to it's all cobblers to me. It is the preview show. How are you doing? You okay? Um, we've had one of those weeks, haven't we, where we started off just feeling really high after that four-one win over Portsmouth on Saturday, and then. Tuesday night was a little bit maybe a bump back down to earth and a reality check as we got beat 2-1 away at Charlton. With me here to talk about that result down in London and to look forward to Saturday's game away at Doncaster, I've got Matt Sammons of Cobblers Vlogs with me. Hi Matt, you okay?
0: Hello, I'm good, thank you. i um, Excited to be back on twice in two days. Um, I'll be asking for a paycheck soon, I think. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, look, even I don't get paid for this, mate. You're not having any money. Go away. Uh, and, and a bit later on, we'll be talking to a Doncaster fan as well. But to start things off, Matt, what did you make of Tuesday's night? Tuesday night's defeat? I'll, I'll try and talk properly, I promise. Uh, what did you make of that defeat at Charlton on Tuesday night?
0: Well, you said you're uh, trying to talk properly. I'm going to try and uh, keep my emotions in check, I think, with uh, Mr. Howard. Um, I don't want to go and blame referees and stuff, but I thought... Um, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> well, I'm, I am one myself. I, you know, I referee on a, on a Sunday on on, uh, on park pitches and stuff, so I don't want to go and uh, slam my colleagues, but I did in my video. I did, I did in my video, so, so I'll do it here. Um, but yeah, I think... Aside from that, which I'm sure we'll come on to, I think we played okay. I think we looked really tired. um, And I think had that decision not have uh, gone against us for the penalty, it would have finished nil-nil. And I think we looked tired. Um, Charlton, they didn't look spectacular as much as they dominated the ball. They didn't create too many clear-cut chances. And then obviously that decision came in um, and it just all kind of went wrong. But I think had that penalty not been given, the game would have finished nil-nil and would have been happy with a point.
2: Yeah, it was a bit of an odd, well, <laughs> I was going to say an odd decision. It was a terrible decision. And obviously, today, as we're recording on Thursday, um, was it the Referees Association? Somebody's come out and apologised, apparently, according to John Brady, for that decision. Doesn't sound like the actual referee has, has apologised for his absolute major cock-up. But, you know, it's a, it's all too little too late, really, anyway, because it has no effect whatsoever on the result, of course. Um There's no point in going over that penalty decision, um, simply because of the fact, we all know that it was absolutely atrocious. Um, Apart from anybody connected to Charlton, it seems, who, well, yeah, believed that it was almost common assault, I think I read somewhere.
0: (laughs) Did did you see the video of the the commentators? They were saying, he was like... He was like, Sowerby has gone absolutely nowhere near the ball. He's clattered into him. He's absolutely taken it out. And then we were still like, appealing. And he was like, Northampton's still appealing here. And the co-commentator was like, well, I don't know what they're appealing for. They've not got a case. I was like, is, ev- is everything all right? <laughs> you know, I, I just <laughs> didn't know what, what they'd seen that there at all to, to think that that, wasn't a penal- that that was a penalty. Sorry. It was
2: interesting that as soon as the replay started on that video clip, that they suddenly stopped talking about the incident and just concentrated on the penalty taker <laughs> <laughs> that that for me said everything they realized that they were completely right and it's fine in the heat of the moment with that and especially when you are biased because in the heat of the moment with me many times when penalties that a stonewall are given against you you're like never never a penalty and then you know half an hour after the game and you're watching it back and you realise, oh actually, yeah, that was that was terrible. <laughs> we deserve
0: to concede penalty. I, I think it works both ways, doesn't it, as well. Um, because last year the kind of way we set up with the kind of Charlie Good shit hounds we and all that sort of stuff, you know, we were getting given decisions like that and it would wind up opposition fans. So you've got to take it and take it and, and leave it, haven't you? Um I think the thing is, we go to these kind of big grounds like your Charlton's. Um, we went to Derby last year. We went to Swansea a couple of years ago in the Carabao Cup. And even against some of the bigger clubs at home this season, there seems to be a kind of big club, not bias, but kind of favouring with referees. They seem to be afraid to give the big decisions against the big clubs sometimes, I think. Um, I think that's just quite yeah. a common thing. I, I don't know why. Um, I think with crowds in, that's definitely kind of, you, you can see it, you know, with the pressure mm-hmm. that the home crowd would put on. Um, but behind closed doors, I, I, you know, it shouldn't happen in the first place, but I don't see why this, there is this kind of big club bias. And, and when we go to big stadiums, we never seem to get anything given given to us.
2: And I think that is the same across the entire football pyramid, I'll I'll be honest with you. I I know that there will always be biases towards your own football team. Of course there will be. Um, But I was going to actually ask you, Max, since you are a referee, I mean, you're probably only refereeing on, you know, open fields as opposed to stadiums, I imagine, um, on a Sunday. But, I I mean, if you turned up at a big club, and I mean a big club for the level that you're refereeing at, obviously here, but if there was like a team that, you know, are, I don't know, they always seem to win the league or, you know, they've yeah. dominated a bit for, for, you know, 20, 30 years. Because you always get those in local football. You do get one or two clubs that are just the better ones and they attract the better players. I mean, yeah. do, do you think subconsciously you end up kind of favouring them? Because you, you maybe think to yourself, well, they either that you can't give a decision against them or that you just think, think simply that, no, they can't have done anything wrong, so to speak. They're too good um, for that, almost.
0: It's a difficult one. Not particularly. Um, I guess maybe, I mean, my games aren't filmed, but if I watch them back, then maybe I, I may even see that and may just kind of be in that automatic mode and just do it without realising, possibly. Um, the first thing I always say when I call the captains over, I always say, um, you know, let's make the game about you rather than about me. Because you know, at the end of the day, I'm turning up there to to referee the game. You know, there's that old saying, "No ref, no game," isn't there? So yeah. I'm always saying, you know, let's make the game about you, not about me. And and in that sense, I try not to to be. I've never said that I favoured a club. Um, teams have annoyed me, and you know, have upset me, and I'm obviously not going to go into that. Um, <laughs> and you do sometimes think, but you never actually do it because. If you do get something if if a team that's really annoyed you all game then gets a penalty in the last minute that's stonewall, you have to give it. You can't obviously just just not give it because they've annoyed you for, for the last seventy minutes or whatever it is that I've kind in terms of the times that I do at youth football. So it's a difficult one. I think with with youth football, um, I think both teams are most of the time as bad as each other. Um so it's not really that um, not really the same as as in professionals.
2: Okay, so you're basically saying that you're not Mike Dean. that's fine. Uh, we'll move yeah. on. Uh, so one of the other things that I, I wanted to talk about, and actually, I will probably end up asking our Doncaster fan this as well, because Doncaster have been well pretty much all the way up and down the EFL over the last 20 years or so, so uh, maybe uh, our guest will will also understand what I'm saying here. But in the last couple of games, we've faced Portsmouth and Charlton, two teams who are, I I would say that they're definitely two teams that, that, that could be playing in the championship, whether they Hmm. should be or not is a, you know, different matter, but they definitely could be. And I think sometimes the quality of the players that they have, and I mean, technically like on the ball, they always look a million miles better than, than we do. And also the one thing that has kind of made me see that a little bit more recently has actually been our very own Mikel Miller, who is quite clearly the most technically gifted player that we have at our disposal in the Cobblers squad. I, I mean, at the start of both of the games against Portsmouth and Charlton, my instant reaction was, oh, my God, these are good simply because they could they could control the ball first time, they could pass it to each other, and they could take it around a player by, you know, a little bit of, I mean, I say it's trickery, but I suppose really what I want to say is that, that that's the standard that we're at and therefore our players should be able to do it. And it's a shame that they can't. I mean, do you see that at all? Or is it is it just me and I'm sort of seeing something that's not there maybe?
0: Yeah, I agree. I think I certainly come into games like Portsmouth, um, like Charlton, with an element of fear when you see these big grounds and you see, as John Brady says, little old Northampton. You know, walking out in these kind of arenas, you do kind of sort of pinch yourself and think, you know, how are we playing against this this team? I think Hull was the biggest one because I've kind of since whilst following football, known Hull as a Premier League team for when they had a couple of years in the Premier League, um. But I think it comes back to this kind of gap between the leagues. I think the League One and League Two gap is um, maybe widening. I think a little bit, um, but I still think League One to the Championship is kind of the biggest jump in football. And obviously, if these Championship clubs are coming down, like you said, um, you maybe do have that little bit of fear factor because obviously, a team coming up from League Two against a team that's just come down from the Championship, you'd expect a vast difference. You know, if we were, if you look at it the other way. If last season we'd have drawn Charlton in the cup, we'd have gone there and thought, if we get a result here, you know, this is one of the best things to ever happen. Um, But then you you put yourself in the same league, and that kind of, for me, I don't think it it goes away. But I think for a lot of fans, it it probably does.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, one thing else that we need to talk about and mention from uh, Tuesday night's game is uh, Alex Jones came on, nearly scored with maybe his second touch and then did score with maybe his fourth.
0: Lots a header, wasn't it? Nice uh, nice looping Absolutely. header over the keeper. Um, proper kind of the way he just kind of flicked it with his head as well. It was like a proper centre-forwards finish. And, and what a way to mark your debut as well, adding himself to the list of Cobbler's debutants that have scored. Um, I think there's quite a few. I think Bayo was one of them and... and Uh, Tim Oglethorpe listed quite a few Um, so yeah he's he's etched himself into our history whether or not he'll stay in it and help us get this great escape or not and I think it'll also be interesting to see if he now starts at the weekend now he's got that goal under his belt or maybe um, if we are behind if he comes on maybe a a bit earlier than kind of with it was at the start of stoppage time or something he came on but yeah really good goal really good header and uh, happy to uh, to see him get that goal and it makes you also think if, if he'd have come on a bit earlier then he maybe would have made a bit more of an impact, and we and we could have got a result. We nearly did get a result, didn't we? Because after we scored that header, he, he had one that kind of just got stuck under his feet. Um, that he couldn't quite get the shot off, Penal- and it was kind penalty, of arg- argument. So that was, was a penalty. Was that the penalty? Yeah, yeah, but that
2: yeah. was a penalty for me, absolutely. Especially if the other one bloody was. Yeah, true. The other end. True. Um, but yeah, the referee. Got, well, the linesman game offside, didn't he? Instead, uh, mm-hmm. unbelievably. Um, but yeah, okay. Well, look, let's uh, introduce you to our Doncaster fan. His name is Adam. He's been on the podcast before. He's from the Into the Empty Net uh, website or or blog. Would you say that that's right, Adam? Is it a blog that you do?
3: Oh, you could certainly describe it as that. Uh, I mean, it is a website, blog, social media. I mean, it's a bit of a um, jack of all trades kind of thing. But uh, yes, I suppose that's right. (laughs) And how are you, mate? Are you well? Yes, I'm good, thank you. Are you?
2: Yes, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you must be quite happy at the moment, I would say. Doncaster, are fifth in the table. Um, you've got a couple of games in hand as well. I know that there is a five-point gap between you and Sunderland, but two games in hand on on them. Um, even more on Hull City, who are top. Um, you must be happy with where where you are at the moment and how the season's going.
3: Yes I mean it's definitely going well I mean we've been you know we've been up around that top 6 for most of the season which is probably a little better than we'd have expected uh, last summer particularly with um, you know how everything was a shortened summer and a late starting season so yeah we're pretty pleased it's been a bit uh, a bit of turmoil for us uh, in terms of the manager changing recently but uh, results have been up and then down and then mixed so uh, I don't think too many fans can have too many complaints but you know what it's like when your team goes on a good winning run and then it all sort of falls apart, uh, people do get a little bit agitated and a little bit disappointed. But um, we seem to be getting back on track now and hopefully we can keep that going because there's uh, every chance that we can still challenge for the top two. And if not, you know, if we're gunning for a playoff place, you know, we'd we'd like to wrap that up as well.
2: Yeah, your recent results have been, uh, well, really good apart from the defeat away at Crewe uh, on Tuesday. Um, Everything else looks pretty okay. Um, you know, we go back as far as whole um, City, which was a three-all draw at, at your place. Um, yes, you've then been beaten by Ipswich uh, 2-1, but then you've beaten Portsmouth and Plymouth both by two goals to well. I mean, it's, it's decent form, and of course the fact that you're fifth as well, I, I would imagine that Okay, yes, there has been turmoil. And, you know, you you said there that you feel like you're getting back on your feet almost. Um, But it doesn't look like it's rocked the boat too much, Darren Moore's departure.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, when Darren left, we were on a five-game winless run. I mean, that followed nine wins in 10 or something. So we were absolutely flying. And then uh, he's kind of left in the middle of a really bad patch where our performances as well as the results had just dropped off a cliff. Um, We conceded four-headed goals at Sunderland from the same player. Yes, Charlie White's having a great season, but very easy goals that were very uncharacteristic for our defence to be conceding. And it, it's, it kind of became a bit of a habit. And I mean, I wouldn't say we've sorted that out entirely either, but um, Andy Butler stepped up, you know, into the manager's seat a bit like John Brady has for uh, yourselves. Mm-hmm. And he, he does seem to have steadied it a little bit and just kind of got us focusing more more on what we can do and, and, and not on the things that we maybe can't control or, you know, we've had injuries as well recently. And I think he's trying to just galvanise everybody because I think the players, uh, a lot of them have said they don't want to see this season derailed because they know that they were, you know, on onto a good thing and having a good season. They don't want to see the season uh, knocked off track too much by Darren leaving, um, even though it was quite a surprise for all of us. Um, so, yeah.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you about whether it was a surprise
3: that, Darren left
2: I mean he's certainly done a good job at Doncaster before and deserves his chance at a higher level although having said that obviously the club that he went to um, aren't known for being particularly stable let's say amongst fan bases Um, and, and obviously there's a huge chance that he'll be back in League One again next season
3: yeah, that's the thing, It's the, that's the most bothersome thing is him leaving us for Sheffield Wednesday who, if we're being honest and fair, are a bit of a basket case at the moment, aren't they? And, <laughs> um, you know, we've been through this before, I mean obviously, I'm sure you guys know as well, teams in League 1 and 2 who have successful players and have successful managers, they're going to get poached by bigger and higher place clubs eventually, it does happen. We all thought Darren might leave at some stage but I think we all thought that, what he was saying about the long-term projects and, and his commitment to the, the local area, the community uh, efforts that the club go through. I think we all kind of bought into that. He is an ex-player of Donny as well. So I think we all got swept up in that and thought that he was, uh, well, the man that he said he was, I suppose. And in the end, he's, he's left at the first opportunity that's come up for him to join a team that, as you say, could very well be, well, I would highly expect them to be dropping into League One next season, either to play against us or be passed by us. So it's a bit of a strange one. In that regard, obviously, they're a much bigger club, historic club, all these things they like to trot out to deflect from the fact that they're a, a struggling side um, mm-hmm. these days. Um, we were a bit shocked, but I think there was a bit of a feeling that, well, if if this last month or so prior to him going is how it, it may be going forward, maybe we're not so upset about it because uh, the, he seemed to be very stubborn with his playing style. Um, his commitment to playing certain players over others, which Andy Butler's immediately rectified that maybe a lot of people didn't agree with. Um, so I think there's the feeling is that we've kind of moved on from it fairly quickly, but I suppose the, the proof of that will be in where we come at the end of the season because if we end up dropping into mid-table, uh, we'll, we'll be looking at that as the key turning point, I'm sure.
2: Matt, stubbornness. Sounds familiar, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> it absolutely does. It sounds as though they've kind of tried to to build in a similar way that we have. Um, I was speaking to, to one of your fellow fans, Adam, for um, mm. my YouTube channel, and, and he was saying that you've had these managers, you've had Grant McCann, you've had Darren Ferguson, and you've had Darren Moore, who've all been successful and then have been poached by uh, by other clubs. And it sounds like Doncaster have got a very similar um, structure to us um, in terms of, it sounds as though um, Andy Butler is someone who's come in and knows everything about the community. Um, I just wanted to ask about your owner um Adam because I think it's something that a lot of cobblers fans want is this kind of long term sustainability and it sounds as though that's something you're definitely trying to build at the club but it hasn't quite worked because like I said these kind of managers you've got in you haven't been able to keep hold of them.
3: Yeah 100% um, I think the, the manager changes have been nearly every summer it feels like for the last few years and that has been a problem when you're trying to build a you know st- stability and the thing is we're quite stable off the field I mean we we had a we had a pair of owners who who were in business together and had made their money and kind of retired on it kind of thing and then come into Doncaster to to help the finances there unfortunately one of the one of those two dick watson he passed away um and that's left terry bramall on his own uh but financially he's sound but i think our our board have got pelters really for for a lot of times anytime it starts to go a bit wrong off at field or we lose a manager or we lose a lot of key players the the board kind of get it in the neck and i don't think it's really fair I'm not someone who subscribes to the they need to be doing more because they put the money in, uh, they keep us uh, ticking along, and you know if we're being realistic, I think we're about where we should be in the pyramid. Um, and and to me, the long-term sustainability is something that we've really worked hard to develop, and we're trying to modernise everything around the club. Uh, I mean, it, I'm sure when you guys come to the keep note, you think, wow, this is a really nice ground, and it is. And it is quite mm-hmm. new, but um, uh, it's kind of belied a little bit that we were still a little bit amateur and a little bit conference level. We are operations for a long time into the 2000s after coming uh, back into the league. And I think the the current board and the current CEO have, have done a lot, a lot behind the scenes to kind of modernise the club, pull us up a bit to a higher standard. And uh, just because certain things on the field don't always go according to plan, I don't think they deserve to have all of that stuff ignored. Um, and for me, the board do a great job. Will they be around forever? Probably not. I think we'll probably end up seeing a bit of a change in ownership in the next few years. I mean, I might be wrong, but I could see that happening and it's, uh, it's a case of just keeping us on a level playing field. Um, the managers leaving does make a big difference because you kind of bring a manager in hoping they're going to stay for three, four years and build a squad. But in- inevitably, you know, they stay for a year. They bring in certain players on loan. They end up at the new club. Grant McCann's certainly taking a few with him. Um, and Darren Moore might do the same in the summer, I suppose. But I think we're trying our best, and be- between everything that's happened with the manager changing and you know everything going on with the pandemic, I think we're doing a pretty good job at keeping our heads above water um, and trying to keep onto that that uh, commitment, I suppose, to being uh, a forward-thinking, sustainable club that's not going to you know break the bank and, and go overboard and, and pay beyond its means. But um, un- until such a point that it becomes desperate for us, which I don't think is anywhere near. Now, especially after we sold Ben Whiteman for a couple of million, then I'm happy with it. And the manager can come and go. I mean, most clubs, managers come and go every other season now, don't they? So it's not Mm. something I'm going to get hung up on too much. And I think that um, if Andy Butler's a long-term choice or if he's not, I I do trust our our owners to find the next man who, who will be the right man at that time to take us forward.
2: So what are your sort of expectations then as a fan in terms of league position or, or where you think Doncaster should be? I mean, you've been in League One now for the past, if we include this season, four years, um, having then been in League Two and, and come up the year before that. So that would have been the year that uh, after we'd been promoted from League Two last time around. Um, is it an expectation? Because obviously... You've got a big stadium. It is very good. I mean, I've I've not been there for a number of years, but from what I remember of it, it's a really nice, modern stadium. Um, Are the fan base happy being a sort of top half, I I suppose would be the best way to put it, top half, League One club? Or or do the fans want a bit more than that?
3: Yeah, I I think it's, it's probably fair, isn't it? I mean, if you ask for my personal opinion on it, I think we're about where we should be you know, top 10 in League One, uh, competing for a playoff place. That's that's the expectation I want for us every year. Uh, and I do see this this kind of debate crops up a lot, I think, between Rovers fans. And um, to me, I think there's a bit of a generational divide with the perception because we spent a lot of the latter half of the 20th century in the bottom tier. Um, and then obviously we dropped out of the league in 1998 for a few years, which is when I started going. Um, and I think to a lot of those fans, fans of my dad's age and, and older, they think that this is pretty great, you know, to be in to be a top half third tier club and have a have a big stadium and and you know and have had a few years. in the Championship is wonderful and far beyond anything you'd you'd ever reasonably expect from little old Donny, as some some people call us. And I think some of the younger fans who, let's be honest, for the last fifteen to twenty years, have only really seen success. I include myself in that. Um, we've had mm. a few relegations, but there's been more promotions. And I mean, we're, we're two leagues higher than we were when I started going. And we've had five years in championship, including finishing in the top half So uh, at that level. And we've seen some fantastic uh, days out, games and results against clubs that are traditionally very, very big clubs indeed. Um, so some of the younger fans, I think, maybe think we should push a bit higher and spend a bit more and try and compete a bit more. But I think if you look realistically at the landscape of the EFL now, teams like Sunderland, Portsmouth to some degree, Charlton definitely, and Hull as well, the way, you know, in Ipswich, Those clubs are teams that even on their bad days will always have a better chance at success than Doncaster or Northampton or most clubs in League One, I suppose. Mm. Um, and And I think that those fans maybe have to adjust their expectations a little bit and say yes, we could have a good season where we kind of romp off and win the league. You never know; it could happen. We won it in 2013, and you know, Luton won it a couple of years ago, and have and have stayed up to this point in the championship. So yes, it can be done, but those kind of seasons will always be either a one-off where everything comes together perfectly, or just you know, you get you get a bit of luck, rub it green. And whereas the the norm and and the expectation regularly would be to you know be in the top half, um, put a squad together to compete, and and you know try and be upwardly mobile and. Give it a go, but I mean, if the, at the end of this season if we finish eighth or ninth, I'm not going to sit here and cry about it and be upset about it because we're still in League One. Because I'm I'm happy to have a club that is you know sustainable in in the sense that it can be in this time and uh, have a club that I can go and watch you know hopefully after this pandemic's over and and still enjoy it watching decent quality football. Um And beyond that, uh, I'm happy. <laughs> so
2: <laughs> I think it it comes down to. That argument, Matt, that I've seen happen or pop up on social media um, a a few times this season, the word ambition. Mm. And and Adam, I don't mean to throw any disrespect towards you whatsoever because I'm actually completely where you are, but obviously with the Cobblers rather than with Donny, in in that I would like to see us actually... Uh, establish ourselves as a League One club I'm not thinking any higher than, than than just being in League One for a good few seasons but there is an argument isn't there Matt on social media from some people that will say well that isn't ambitious enough and that we should be more ambitious and we should be looking to actually you know achieve promotion again
0: yeah I think um, Doncaster have kind of showed that that's kind of unrealistic to be able to you know come into league 1 have a season where you survive relegation and then go up the year or probably two years after that i think that's quite unrealistic i think i think a lot of cobblers fans um certainly myself we tend to compare um, ourselves to that lot down the road in terms of their model and all that kind of thing but i think doncaster is a club that we should <laughs> no that <laughs> the the, uh, the other team in blue um i think doncaster are a team that we should aspire to be like um i think the way their, their model works, I think, is exactly what we should be looking to do. A team that stays in League One consistently, um, maybe flirts with the playoffs now and again and, and promotion, um, and perhaps maybe doesn't have an odd year in the championship. Perhaps they're just quite happy to always be be challenging. And To be fair, I think it'd be interesting to know from, from Adam's point of view is, would you be happy to stay in League One for another five years, constantly, um, you know, in finishing seventh, eighth, ninth, or would you now be looking to try and kick on a little bit and, and get back into the championship?
3: I, I personally would like us to shoot for the championship, but I suppose the the caveat with it is if if the club come out every season and say we're aiming to finish ninth or tenth in League One, or not so much say that in in exact terms, but if if mm. the recruitment and everything and the ambition of the management and how the noise has come out of the club are all like, well, we're happy to be here in League One kind of thing, then I would understand fans being frustrated. However, I think every season at Rovers anyway, and I'm sure it's the case for a lot of League One clubs at our kind of level, um, the the ownership and the management and the players all come out and say, we want to push on, we want to try and compete for the playoffs. Um, and if the aim every season is to compete for the playoffs so, and, and say for five years running, which we kind of have done, is finishing the top half, get to the playoffs one or two seasons you know but we're still in league one after those five years um, as long as you're at least trying to get the best out of your resources I don't think it's a problem if you're mm. staying in league as,
0: one um, kind it's, of as long as it's the ambition as long as the ambition is there to go up then then you're kind of happy whether whether you do or not I guess
3: yes because I don't ever take for granted that just because you put money in or your recruitment's fantastic or you're go out on a limb to get a good manager, which I think we did a little bit with Darren Moore because I think he was very highly rated at the time after his West Brom stint. as, As long as you're going out and doing those kinds of things, it shows that you are doing your best as a club to progress. And if your best isn't good enough at the end of the season, then I don't think you can really argue with that. I mean, three teams get promoted from this league at the end of every season and i'm sure 12 to 14 15 16 of them at least back in august think we could at least give it a go so it's not realistic to think that just because you put the money in or you sign all the players you think are really good or you get a good manager in that you're definitely going to go up because uh, football doesn't work like that you can't just guarantee results based on your actions leading up to it and i think i don't know a great deal about northampton but you know if if your fans uh, you know want your club to kind of push on and be a promotion candidate in this league then the Yes, you should. You should shoot for that, and you should say, "Well, I want us to get to that stage." But to not presume that you can just do it easily—I mean, it's not easy at all. And I think there's a lot of teams in this league who um, who really have, have proven that it is difficult to do, and it can take five, ten years sometimes to get to that stage. And, I mean, Wickham, Wickham were a bottom half team for most of um, you know the last five years in League One, but they've ended up having a good season and getting promoted. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, one interesting thing that you said, Matt, you know, about comparing the Cobblers to Doncaster or at least sort of wanting to be like Doncaster, let's say. I mean, the one glaringly obvious thing that is a difference between the two clubs is the stadium. Mm. Uh, the keep moat holds 15,200 just over the, over that. Yeah. Um, Granted, it's, what are we talking about, about 13 years old, something like that, I think. Um, You know, it's a much better stadium than Sixfields is in terms of its infrastructure. There's no doubt about that at all. Um, The other thing, or the other question that I've maybe got for you, Adam, with that is um, what are your training facilities like? Do you own them? Um, Mm -hmm. What is it? Or where is it that you train?
3: Yeah, our training facilities, I believe, are owned by the club. They are actually just up the road from where uh, my childhood home is. It's uh, the back of like a, a big like community park, um, and it's it's if you look at it from the outside as well, it, it doesn't look like much. I'll be honest. Um, we've got nice, we've got a nice pitch there and some nice four G facilities. Um, I think it's kind of like the gym and the facilities inside that have been upgraded in the last few years. Um, we got to the fifth round of the FA Cup a couple of seasons ago under Grant McCann and uh, we made something like six, seven hundred grand out of that run from being on telly and prize money and all of that. Um, and, and we spent most of that on upgrading some of the facilities at the training ground. But it's not stuff that you'd look at from the outside and go, oh, well, that looks a lot better. You know, it, it kind of looks like a bunch of porter cabins tied together if you just stand at the little fence. Honestly, it doesn't look like much. But I think it's the facilities inside are, are all decent and the pitch is nice um, there. We do own it, but I think uh, the club recognised that it'd take a big cash injection, or you know, was been in Championship for a few years to completely um, bulldoze it and start again and build a nice big facility up. It's not, it's not anything glamorous, and it's one of those things that's not really changed much since the um, Conference days. Whereas the stadium, which I I think it's, I think we've been in 14 years now, that is obviously a big upgrade on Bellevue, which was falling apart and (laughs) you know, small and a little shed really, but. Th- but beautiful yeah. at the same time, Adam. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it were our little shed, wasn't it? And um, I mean, I absolutely loved standing on uh, terrace when I was a kid there. It were it were a brilliant experience, being right close to the pitch. But um, I don't think I don't know the training facilities. To me, don't have. I don't really think about them much, and they don't really factor in. But it's another thing that that when when we do spend money on it, like we did, I think it was the summer before last. The the board then kind of get pelters for not spending it on a load of players, and it's like. <laughs> Well, you know, do you want us to have good facilities so that when we sign these players, they can be trained and, and looked after to the best of their qualities and capabilities? Or do you do you want to go out and blow it all on players so they come and train down a, a little old patch of grass? I mean, it's perspective again and I think priorities, which obviously I think our CEO has, has got a good handle on. And I think our managers have had a good handle on as well, the last few that we've had. Um, and sometimes the fans maybe just need to step back with that thing and, and look at it and think yeah you know what we're doing alright really compared to where we've come from because as i said earlier uh, it's been a long journey to modernise the club and, and pull it up to a league 1 club standard in all aspects whereas once we got when we got the stadium originally it was like right that's now a championship league 1 stadium but the club's still a conference team in many many respects so um it's mm. it's it's been a long effort and i think we're still getting there we're nearly there now i think with that stuff but um yeah, I, I'm happy with where we're at, really, in that regard, off the field. And I'm quite happy with where we are on the field as well. And I think most fans should be, really. I think that's a,
2: that's a very interesting point. There's a, there's a lot being said uh, amongst the fan base here, Adam, about the fact that because we don't own the training facilities that we use. I mean, they're owned by uh, one of the local colleges. Um, right. Whereas the club will turn around and say, OK, yeah, fine. The college might own it, but we use it and we develop it and, you know, X, Y and Z. But, you know, some of our fans have been saying that not owning our own training facilities is is something that it might be potentially holding us back. The club at the moment disagree with that. But it's interesting to see that other perspective of somebody that supports a team who do own the training facilities. And when they were upgraded, the fans were actually going the other way, which was spend the money on the players and not the training facilities. It's It's so typically football, isn't it, I think is the best way to describe it. Um, Let's move on to the actual game then on Saturday. Um, Without going into sort of predictions or anything like that just yet, Adam, I mean, in terms of how you're playing at the moment, what would be your expectation? And maybe also thinking back to... You know what you think of Northampton having seen us obviously back in December as well. Whether you think that this is going to be a walk in the park for you or or, or what sort of expectation you might have for the game,
3: yeah. I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park by any means, and uh, and I don't just say that because I never think that of a Doncaster Rovers game, but um, I think I think Northampton are, are probably a decent side compared to the league position based on what I have seen. You're obviously looking a bit brighter now that um, you've changed the manager, much like we are. Um, i don't I don't really take too much from the game at Six fields because you had a man sent off quite early um and you know it was pretty comfortable for us to just dominate possession from there, but um things have changed a great deal I, I would imagine for both teams since then um and that was Andy Butler's first start of the season that game and obviously he's now on, in the dugout he's not playing anymore and um we've actually got a few injuries. We played with no strikers on tuesday night crew and it were a, it were a bit of a nightmare we We, we couldn't really create much. Um, The strikers that we've got, Bogle and Okenabiri, both injured. Okenabiri is hopefully going to be back on Saturday. I don't think Bogle will be. And I think John Bostock, who's kind of been our playmaker for the last month, I don't think he's going to be fit either. So you'll be pleased to know that. Uh, We're going to have to rework it a bit. Um, And I think the aim of the game is going to be to try and control the ball for us. But I'm I'm not too confident we'll do that at the moment. And uh, if you can get on the front foot enough, I think you'll cause us problems because our defence is very, very shaky at the moment. Uh, and I wish I could put my finger on why it is, because the players as, themselves as individuals are all fantastic players for this level. But collectively, recently I think it's all just gone a little bit pear-shaped. Um as far as the game goes, if we've got Okenabiri fit, if Reese James shakes off a knock he took it crew, I think we'll have a good chance of winning. Uh, you know, we need that focal point up front. Um we've got plenty of creative midfielders, you know, James Coppinger, Taylor Richards, uh, when he wants to, you know, get involved, Josh Sims these are all really good players for this level who can get on the ball and affect play but uh if if we don't have the striker to feed off of that then we're not going to create much and if we don't create much we find ourselves panicking i think and and kind of running out of ideas fast running up blind alleys running into walls um i'm not too confident for this game i'll be honest i'm not i don't really like predicting defeats but I think Northampton are looking solid at the moment. I mean, that result against Portsmouth was a fantastic win. I mean, we beat Portsmouth as well and and they are struggling at the moment, but to to score four goals in one half of football against a promotion contender is impressive Mm -hmm. in my book and you've got a few players who look to me like they're in form. So, we're going to have to be on it. Um, I I hope that Andy Butler picks them up after Tuesday night because it was a frustrating game Um, and crew were a decent side, but I I think we should have shown more of ourselves. Um, I hope he picks us up uh, to go again because it is going to be a tough match. Um, and I think that we're, we're a little bit in danger now of just slipping off our standard uh, more consistently than we've been on it um, for the last month or two. And I really hope we can turn it around and get consistency in terms of performance. And hopefully the wins will come with it because we need to try and shore up this playoff place. I like the sound of that
2: dodgy defence, don't you, Matt?
0: Absolutely. I think, um, like Adam said, I think the game at Sixfields, I mean, I was there. That was what the game that I could go to. Um and I think that game is completely irrelevant. Sean McWilliams, like we, I like Adam mentioned, was sent off after not very long. It was half an hour, 40 minutes, something like that, wasn't it? So, and, and after that, Doncaster just dominated the ball. Um, and I think if the game was still going on now, three months later, we probably still wouldn't have scored. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I think that, that reverse fixture, like I say, is completely irrelevant. But the fact that, you know, then looking a bit leaky at the back and the fact that we've started to score some goals should, does and does give us some hope.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, let's get some predictions. Uh, I'm going to be optimistic and say that we're going to get a 2-1 win. Uh, I've, I, I did also write a little piece for uh, Adam's website that went out on Thursday afternoon. And I think I wrote in there that, that Doncaster fans should expect us to basically press and harry them from the moment that the game kicks off. And just just hearing the fact that the defense are maybe not feeling too comfortable at the moment is going to be music to our ears because that harrying and pressing is going to really cause Doncaster some some grief, I think. And and if Watto can uh, keep up his goal scoring form,
1: no. <laughs> then we'll
2: uh, then we'll be uh, looking at it and hopefully hopefully come away with a win. Matt, what's your prediction?
0: Um, I think a score draw. I think after Tuesday, we look quite tired. So I think we're going to come back. We're going to be refreshed and, and we're going to be up for it. With uh, the way kind of both defences, you could say, haven't been too great. Um, There's more recently than ours, I guess. I think a score draw. Um, I'm going to go for 2-2, for two, two, I think. It's going to be a tough one. Um, yeah, like I said, neither defence is particularly in the best of form. Um, obviously, we're, Wado's in quite good form going forward, and and so are the, so is Miller um, as well. And hopefully Alex Jones, I'd quite like to see him just get a start, put it in from the off and, and see how he does, and maybe he can pick up a goal. So, yeah, I'll go for it, for an entertaining score draw, 2 2, as long as we don't go 2 0 up and throw it away. Um, a, a last minute equaliser or something like that would be nice.
2: Yeah, it's always nice when it's that way round. When yeah. when you're 2 0 up, and then, you, yeah, no, no, thank you. That feels like a defeat to me. Um, Adam, you're our Doncaster fan. Uh, I know that you've said that you're not feeling massively confident, but what's your prediction?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I, I read your comment about pressing us from the off, and it filled me with dread. To be honest, um, I'm really I'm not a pessimistic person. and I'm definitely not a pessimistic Doncaster fan. But I'm going to do something I very rarely do and predict us to lose. <laughs> I, I I think we are going to lose. I don't know. I've just got a feeling it's not going to click for us again. We might be missing one too many key players who, who really get us going and uh I'm gonna say two nil to Northampton. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am I'm mm. not not confident in our defending, I'm afraid, at the minute. I, I hope we can turn it round, but uh the, the defence that I was really proud of in the first half of the season has disappeared. So let's let's go for the ultimate pessimism from our side of it and hopefully I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much, Adam. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on both times this season. Good luck for the rest of the season. I hope that you do have a really strong finish after Saturday, of course. Uh, and, and we look forward to, well, I, I I will say, I look forward to seeing you next season on the basis that I hope that we stay up and that if you aren't quite good enough to to achieve promotion yourselves, then hopefully we'll meet up for a beer when we're allowed to next season. That would be Perfect, I think.
3: That would be wonderful, yes. I really hope that we've got that opportunity, providing we're in the same division. I certainly hope you guys stay up this season. And you know, if, if we don't go up then as I say as I said earlier, I'll be I'll be fine with that, I suppose. And um, yes, hopefully <laughs> we can all meet next season and get back to doing uh, doing what we love, which is going to watch football in, in the flesh. <laughs>
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and Matt, thank you very much for joining me for for two shows this week. It's been a pleasure having you on. Um, but now I will just say, can you just scoot back off to your little YouTube channel, please, mate?
0: <laughs> no problem. You're you're very welcome. Hopefully, sounds as though Doncaster either they're either on it or or they're not um, this season. So hopefully they have an off day. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you uh, you inviting me on as well.
2: You're very welcome. And thank you guys for listening. It's been a bumper week this week for It's All Cobblers to me. Um, So, yeah, brilliant. Make sure that you give us a follow on social media, on your podcast app of choice, whichever one it is. And if you do want to give something back and help support the making of the podcast, then you can sign up to our Patreon. This Sunday, uh, we've got the March edition of Danny's Quiz happening at seven o'clock so if you sign up to patreon at a five pound a month level or higher then you'll be able to come and join us for a nice hour or so on zoom taking part in what is sure to be another wonderful funny and testing hour or so thanks very much for listening we'll see you next week come on cobblers goodbye
1: There's the cup. There's the pictures you'll see on tomorrow's back pages. The Cobblers are going through into Division 1. Bring them on because we deserve it. I'm Tom Cliff, Cobblers fan and proud owner of Track NN and Cafe Track. TrackNN is a social enterprise set up in 2018 to support autistic people to access employment through training, support services, and creating opportunities. Research showed that just 16% of autistic adults were in full-time employment, and this is something which we are going to change. We opened our cafe on the Market Square in Northampton in January 2019 as a place where individuals could work and develop their employability skills, and also be a place where people were free to be themselves. Since opening the Café in January 2019, we have supported 36 people into paid employment and created over 75 work experience placements and visits for individuals. Since the coronavirus outbreak, we have not been able to open Café Track to its full capacity and we have instead taken our offering online. You can help support us by buying coffee virtually at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Café Track your money goes to helping us to continue to create opportunities for autistic adults to gain employment
2: support the podcast on patreon by joining the it's all cobblers to me fan club every month you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content such as our meet the staff series hear our player interviews before anyone else and be invited to regular meetups By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Sports Social Podcast Network.